Uh, Trace, it's good to be here with you guys. Thanks for braving the snow this morning. Uh, but before we kind of jump into our message, I actually want to take a moment and do something we do time to time, but um, as a church, we've said we want to extend hope when life hurts, as that's one of the mantras we have here at Trace, and that doesn't just mean for the people of Colorado Springs, that doesn't just mean for the people of Colorado or the people of the United States, but we want to extend hope to whoever life hurts for, and right now life is hurting a lot for a lot of people over in Ukraine, and we just want to be mindful of that, and we just want to take a moment uh, to pray for them and partner with them. We know this morning uh, thousands and thousands of people are gathering over in Ukraine to worship God this morning, and it's such a blessing for us. I know it's an inconvenience with the parking lot. I know it's an inconvenience with the snow, but at the same time, what a blessing it is to be able to gather this morning. And so uh, I'm gonna take a little bit of time real quick and we're gonna pray for Ukraine if you wouldn't mind praying with me. Um, God, we, we are grateful. Uh, we are grateful for where we get to leave, live, and, uh, but God, we're also mindful of what's going on over in Ukraine and uh, just the way that lives are changing over there and the way that um, things are looking pretty difficult and that for a lot of people, life is hurting right now. And so God, I pray that you would surround them with people that can point them in your direction. Um, God, people that can remind them of the hope that we have in your son. Um, God, if there's any way you can use this situation, I pray that you do. But also, God, I pray that justice would happen, uh, that clear heads would prevail, that you would solve whatever's going on over there, that you would bring light to a really dark world for some people, but then also God, just help us to be empathetic. Uh, we can get so consumed with what's going on in our own lives, uh, how we're inconvenienced, what's, what's wrong with our current days that we you know, forget what's going on for other people. And so help us to be empathetic towards some of those people and mindful and just encourage us to pray uh, whenever we have time this week uh, for them. God, we love you and we're grateful for your son Jesus and it's in your name we pray, amen. Uh, but once again, uh, welcome. You know, we are really glad that you're here today. Uh, I want to take a moment and say welcome to any of you guys that are joining us for the very first time here at Trace, whether you saw one of the street signs, maybe you got invited by a friend or a family member, or maybe uh, for you, you've been watching us online, but you decided to join us in person and brave the snow today, whatever the case is, we're glad you're here. Uh, also, just want to say welcome to any of you that are joining us online this morning. Uh, I hope you know our ultimate goal is that you would join us here in person at some point, but we know there's limitations with that. And so whatever your limitations are, thanks for being a part of the conversation today. Uh, my name is Josiah, and I have the opportunity to be the student pastor here at Trace. And so I get to work with middle school students and high school students who keep me on my toes uh, all the time. Um, but many, we know many of you guys have recently joined Trace. Many of you have recently started coming to Trace, and many of you don't know what we offer or what we provide in our student ministry. And so really quick, I just want to give you a brief overview of that. For our middle school ministry, we actually meet right now during the 9th 30 service uh, up in the offices, and there's a bunch of hooligans, a bunch of crazy middle schoolers up there right now, um, but a bun bunch of awesome adults and lots of fun, um, but we really want to help students meet Jesus, and so if you're a middle schooler in here right now and you want to go do that, like, I would encourage you just, like, get up and go. Like, it's, it's, it's going to be fun, uh, but at the same time, you can join next week. Not a big deal, uh, but for our high school students, we actually meet back here at Trace uh, at 6 p.m., and sometimes it looks kind of like a worship 
worship service for students. Uh, sometimes we really wanna focus on helping our students build relationships with each other and with God. So like tonight, for example, we're having a huge event here at the church called Corruption County. And if I can be honest with you, like I'm pretty excited most of the time, like an eight out of 10. Like for this event, I'm like an 11 or 12 out of 10. Like I am pumped uh, to play this game, but we're gonna be using the entire building with all of our high school students and some of Wicked Think who is our next door neighbors as well. We're gonna be running around shooting each other with Nerf guns. We're gonna be robbing each other, stealing money from each other, like very Christ-like values at this church. That's right. Um, but it is going to be a great time. And so the reason I share that with you is because if you are a high school student in here, if you know a high school student, if you have a high school student, guys, we want you to be a part of this. You're gonna wanna be a part of this as well. It's gonna be a ton of fun. And so uh, if you have a student, if you know a student, if you are a student and you're not yet a part of what God is doing here at Trace Students, I'd love nothing more than to meet you. And so I'm gonna be out in the lobby right after this if you wouldn't mind coming and finding me and we can get you plugged into what God is doing here at Trace. But today we are pumped because we are starting this brand new series called James. And like the title suggests, uh, we are gonna be taking the next three weeks to kind of venture through the book of James that we find in the New Testament and kind of see what this book has to offer in terms of wisdom for our lives. Um, and to be clear, anytime that we take a deeper dive or a deeper look at a book of the Bible or anytime that we're studying scripture, I need you to know that our goal as a church isn't just to teach you more stuff. Um, that knowledge, it's often useless if it's not followed up by action. That as a church, we never wanna show up on a Sunday morning, come in here, listen to somebody talk and listen to somebody wow us with their words and then leave and walk out those doors and be exactly the same. Uh, that we want to be the kind of people who come in here and we listen and we look through God's word to see how it can change our lives. That we're not interested in uh, being intellectually lazy when we look at the Bible, but we're also not interested in creating spiritually obese Christians by just reading our Bibles to know more things. Know that whether you study your Bibles here at Trace or whether you study your Bibles on your own, uh, our goal in that is always the same that we wanna to get to know Jesus uh, so that we can show Jesus to the world around us. And Paul, he actually talks a lot about this uh, in his letter to the Corinthians. He's got some Christians there that were previous Jews and uh, you know they're really uh, proud of some of the things that they know. They're really confident in some of the things that they know. And so this is what he says to them in 1 Corinthians chapter eight. He says, we know that we all have knowledge, that everybody knows something, right? But knowledge puffs up, but it's love that builds up. That once again, we wanna to get to know Jesus, that's that knowledge piece, but it's for the purpose of showing Jesus, that's the love piece. And what I love about the book of James specifically is that James, he carries that very same sentiment, that James is a pretty practical guy. And so that being the case over the next several weeks, we're gonna dive into this book of James and see what kind of wisdom uh, this book has to offer us so that we can go live it out in the places where we live, work, and play. And so we're gonna dive in uh, here in a second, but before we do that, I really wanna set this book up well for you. That I wanna give you kind of some context surrounding this, and so if you are a note-taking type, if you're not a note-taking type, I would encourage you, like write this phrase down, because I think this will be helpful for you anytime that you study the Bible or anytime uh, you look to study on your own, and it's this phrase right here, uh, context before content. 
that we have to take the time to look at the content text anytime before we look at the content of whatever we're reading in scripture. And so that's exactly what we wanna do this morning, that I wanna show you some of the context of the book of James before we dive into James chapter one this morning. And specifically, I wanna communicate to you like three different areas of context, three areas that I think are pretty important when we're looking at context. And those three areas are these ones right here. Um, it's author, audience, and aim. Author, audience, and aim. And another way to think of the aim is like the purpose of that letter. And so we'll start with this first one of author, okay? This may surprise you. Uh, this may shock some of you. But the book of James was written by a guy named James, okay? Like pretty self-explanatory. I like how the Bible does that. Makes it easy for people like me. But James was the one who wrote this and he wasn't just any old James. Uh, this is actually James the brother of Jesus. And while we don't know a whole lot about James the brother of Jesus, we do get little snippets of his life all throughout scripture that we can kind of put together and kind of figure out what kind of guy James was. And I would say one of the most important things we see in scripture about James, and that's important for us to know as we read through his letter is this, that for a majority of James' life, James was a skeptic, that James didn't believe his brother Jesus was the son of God. And we see this all throughout scripture, but one of the places we see this is in John chapter seven. It says this, uh, for even his own brothers did not believe in him, talking about Jesus. And James being one of those brothers did not believe in his older brother Jesus. But can you really blame the guy? Like we've shared this before, but like what would it take you to convince one of your siblings that you were God in the flesh? Like, I don't know about you, it's not happening in my family. Like they know me too well. People here, they know me too well. Like it'd be impossible to convince them. But not only did James not believe in his brother, we get to see another picture of this like interesting family dynamic in Mark chapter three, that James, he's going around and he's you know, doing ministry, or Jesus, he's going around and he's doing his ministry. He's helping people, he's healing people. He's talking about this kingdom that's kind of here, but it's also not yet here. And what happens is James and his brothers, they follow Jesus around. And they're, they're apologizing on Jesus' behalf. They're like, hey, sorry about my brother Jesus. And they start pleading insanity. They're like, he's out of his mind. Don't worry about him. Like, don't listen to anything he says. And he goes around and he's doing this while Jesus is doing his ministry. By all means, like James, he was about as skeptical as you can get. But even though that's true, like the next time we see James, it's really interesting because the next time we see James in scripture, he looks completely different. Uh, that rather than being a skeptic and like kind of apologizing on Jesus' behalf, instead he's leading the church in Jerusalem one of the biggest churches in the known world at the time. And Peter and Paul, they're referencing this guy James as one of the pillars of the church. And so you have to ask the question like, what changed? Like what happened in that gap of time? What changed for James to go from one of Jesus's biggest critics to one of the church's biggest contributors? And as you look throughout scripture, you actually find the answer in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, that Paul, he's giving this overview of the resurrection, and he says this right here. It says, for what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the 12, then he appeared also to who? To James. And then to all the apostles. And I want you to stop and just imagine that moment for a second. That after Jesus has resurrected from the dead, 
Out of all the people he could have visited, he went and he found his brother who was extremely skeptical of him, who never believed a word he said, and he talked to him, and he showed himself to him, and he revealed himself to them, and and I'm guessing that, I have a lot of brothers, but I'm guessing this was a pretty sweet I told you so moment for Jesus, right? That he's like, I told you this was gonna happen, and I know Jesus is a lot better than I am, and so uh, he probably wouldn't have done that, but I definitely would have like soaked that moment in. It's like, I told you this is exactly what was gonna happen. But I share that with you because I need you to know that James was about as skeptical as it gets, but it took nothing short of him seeing his resurrected brother after watching him die on the cross ruthlessly for him to radically change his life, for him to radically change his beliefs and radically change what he was going to do with his life. And guys, that's important because as we read through the book of James over the next several weeks, I need you to understand that James is a skeptic that's writing to a lot of, that, uh, he's writing to a lot of people that are growing skeptical about their faith, but there's empathy there for him. And that leads me to that second A that we talked about, uh, which is audience, audience. That at the time this letter is being written, followers of Jesus are popping up all over the place. This is near the beginning of the movement and they're popping up all over the place, but they're also beginning to witness like a lot of persecution start to happen. So they're seeing the Jews persecuting Christians and then later as time goes on, the Romans are getting in on this as well. And many of them were either there or they heard news about this guy named Stephen who went to the Jewish council in Acts chapter eight and he professed his faith to this Jewish council and what they did to them what they did to him is they dragged him outside, threw him in a pit, and they stoned him to death. And many of them were there, and many of them had experienced that, or many of them had heard about that, and so they get afraid, and they get fearful, and they start you know, running and uprooting their lives in Jerusalem and moving all across uh, the, you know, Asia Minor and Eastern Europe at the time, finding a new place that might be safe for them to be a Christian. And they're starting to get skeptical about their faith. They're starting to wonder like, is this Jesus thing really worth it? Because like at first it was kind of cool, it was kind of fun, like it kind of helped satisfy some of the things that we were already thinking. But like now people are giving their lives up for it. Like are we sure this is really worth it? And so they start moving out of Jerusalem all over the place. But you also have to understand like these are brand new Christians. Like most of them don't know what it looks like to follow Jesus and so they start wondering like, what does it look like for me to live out this new faith that I've been professing? Like what does it look like to live out my faith in the places where I live, work and play? And so James, he sees all of this. He sees them moving all over the place, sees that they need some instruction and rather than you know, trying to visit each and every single one of them in all the different towns, instead what James does is he sits down and he uses the cutting edge technology of the time and he writes them a letter. And that's the letter that we have today. And he writes them this letter for a very specific purpose which leads you know, to that last A that we talked about which is aim. Or like why is James writing this letter? That as I mentioned earlier, James was a skeptic writing to a group of people that were growing skeptical about their faith and they were scattered across the world and they're trying to figure out what does it look like for me to follow Jesus? That as we read through this letter here in a moment and over the next couple weeks, you're gonna see that uh, the book of James is an extremely practical book and it's aimed primarily at new converts to Christianity to guide and instruct them on how to live their life as followers of Jesus. And it's for this reason 
that James is one of those books, uh, more than probably any other, other than the book of John, that as a church, and I would say me personally, uh, we've referenced and encouraged people who are new to Christianity or who have just made the decision to follow Jesus to go back and read because it provides a lot of practical uh, living. It provides a lot of practical wisdom and it's easy to understand and it's easy to follow along with. And so while yes, like this book was written, you know, some 2,000 years ago, uh, maybe this morning you find yourself in a very similar place that James readers did. Uh, that maybe for you, you just recently started following Jesus. Uh, that we know over the last two months or so, we've had so many people make that decision to follow Jesus for the very first time. But then also today, I get to celebrate this with you. Uh, but we, we have right around 20 people who have made that decision to follow Jesus public by being obedient in the waters of baptism. In just two months, 20 people who have made that decision to get baptized. Yeah, that's great news. But we also know for those of you who have gotten baptized or those of you who have made that decision personally to follow Jesus, we also know that for many of you, you're kind of like, well, what now? Like, what's next in my life? Like, I, I did the baptism thing. What else am I supposed to do? And if that's you, I would tell you, I think the book of James has a lot to offer you. And I think you're really gonna benefit from this series over the next couple weeks. But maybe for you, you don't look like that. Maybe you look more like James did before he saw his resurrected brother, Jesus. If you're being honest with yourself, like you're a skeptic. You're a little bit skeptical about all of this, and I get it. Like maybe you walked into these doors and you got some questions, you've got some doubts, you've got some things that you need to wrestle with. And if that's you, like awesome, I'm so glad you're here. This is a place you can belong before you believe, but I would encourage you, like stick around for the next three weeks. Stick around for this series because I think you're gonna be able to relate to a lot of the things that James talks about. But wherever you sit this morning, um, you know, I think that James has a little bit of something for a little bit of everybody, right? And so after talking about the context, okay, we've talked about the context, let's go ahead, let's dive into the content uh, this morning. So if you have your Bibles, turn them open, turn them on, James chapter one, uh, that's where we're gonna be. He starts by saying this in verse one, he says, James, a servant of God of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations, that's what we just talked about, greetings. And then he says this, consider it pure joy. Yes, you read that word right, it's joy my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Now, right out the gate, James starts his letter off to these Christians who are scattered all over the place by talking about how they should view the persecution that they're facing, how they should view some of the trials, some of the hard times that they're experiencing. Now, I don't know about you, uh, but if I'm being honest with you, verses like this one, or specifically I would say that verse, and many like uh, that verse in the book of James, I have a really hard time with. Um, I would tell you that that verse actually brings up quite a bit of like not so fun memories. It actually reminds me of the most boring summer uh, I ever experienced in my life. And the reason the summer was so boring was because at the uh, beginning of it, the very beginning of it, I wish it was in the middle, but the very beginning of it, uh, I got in a lot of trouble. And uh, so to make a long story short or make a long story long, basically uh, what happened was I was at my cousin's house in Missouri, uh, hanging out with some of them when they convinced me that it would be a good idea for me to make a MySpace account 
without telling my parents, okay? Any of you guys remember MySpace, right? Um, you could have your list of like top 10 friends, which never caused any problems for the people who weren't on it. Like it was a self-esteem killer. If you weren't on that list, uh, you could play music on your profile. You could even have like virtual pets, right? It was interesting. Uh, <laughs> it was awesome. Um, but that was MySpace. And so at the time, I didn't want to feel left out. Because uh, my cousins all had one and I didn't have one and I didn't want to feel left out. And so I was like, you know what, I'll go ahead and make one. And what you need to understand is I was a very sheltered kid. And so because of that, I knew that my parents would never have said yes to that. Uh, that if I were to ask my parents, they definitely would have said no. And I knew what they were going to say to me. And so I figured I'll just make one and then I'll ask them later and try to convince them to get on board later. And so that's what I did, right? I made one. And then for the whole rest of the week, I spent my time asking my mom in all these various ways, like, mom, it'll make me more responsible because I have these virtual pets. Mom, um, you know, it'll give me friends. You want me to have friends, right? Uh, mom, it'll let me connect with my cousins who live so far away. You want me to stay connected with my family, right? Like family's important, right? And to all of this stuff, my mom was like, no, you're not getting a MySpace account. Don't ask me again. And so by the end of the week, you know, we end up going home back to Oklahoma and we're at home for a couple days. When my mom comes in my room like a couple days later, she wakes me up really early and she says, hey, can you come out to the living room to talk? And that was code for, hey, you're about to get in a lot of trouble, so buckle up. And so I got up really early while the rest of my family was still sleeping. I go in the living room and my mom asks me point blank, she said, did you make a MySpace account after I told you not to? And so not thinking she knew, not really wanting to get in trouble, and also not wanting to lie, I said, no, I did not make a MySpace account after you told me not to, which wasn't a lie because I did it before she told me not to, right? Like I was a very manipulative child. Um, but then my mom, you know, she didn't really buy that, and so she said, Josiah, um, I'm going to give you another chance to be honest with me. Uh, did you make a MySpace account when I asked you not to do that? And I thought to myself for a little bit, I'm like, she's bluffing. Like, there's no way she knows about this. Like, I was so careful. And the only way she knows is if one of my cousins told her, and, and they wouldn't do that, because, you know, snitches get stitches and end up in ditches. And so, like, they knew that, so it's, they're not doing that. And so I was like, no, Mom, you told me not to. Like, trust me, I wouldn't do something you told me not to do. And looking back on that moment, I can tell you, I really wish I would have told the truth. Uh, I really wish I would have told the truth because, but I also kind of felt like my mom set me up a little bit, but you know, because after she was like, she was like, Josiah, I already know you made an account and I just wanted to see if you'd be honest with me. And instead you lied to me twice. And I was like, well, it was kind of one and a half, but she's like, I don't care. And so she started laying out the punishment for me. And she said, okay, so here's what's gonna happen because you were deceptive um, and continually deceptive when I give you multiple opportunities to be honest. She said, for the rest of the summer, uh, you're not gonna be able to play with any of your toys, so no more Legos, nothing like that. Uh, you're not gonna have any screens, so no more TV, no more video games, anything like that. And with all this spare time that you're gonna have over the summer, you're gonna help your dad work outside, and then you're gonna write out the book of James by hand every day for the rest of the summer, um, for you know, the whole summer. And so when I say like this kind of verse brings up like not fun experiences, uh, that's what I'm talking about. <laughs> that, you know, have joy in trials, right? Yeah, right, uh, James, you don't know what I'm going through here. But before you feel too sorry for me, I need you to know like I did this completely to myself. 
because afterwards, uh, I gained the courage to go back and ask my mom, like, hey, how'd you find out about this? Because uh, I thought I'd been pretty careful, and I needed to know which cousin I was going to have to beat up. Um, but uh, after she told me the answer, I wish she hadn't, because I felt really stupid. Because uh, to make a MySpace account, you need an email address to do that, right? And I was nine years old at the time and lived in Oklahoma with dial-up internet, so I did not have such an email. But being the resourceful kid I was, I was like, I'll use an email that I know the only problem was the only email I knew was my mother's. And so uh, I used my mom's email, and I've since learned, since learned that when you use an email to create an account anywhere, uh, it'll send a confirmation email to that said place. And so that's how my mom found out. So moral of the story is, one, I'm an idiot. Uh, two, mothers always find out. But then three, like, if you want to get away with something, learn how to use Gmail. Like, they make it really easy. <laughs> Uh, but why share that story? Uh, one, because it's funny. Uh, but two, I share that story because while I had a problem with that verse when I was a kid, uh, because of my self-inflicted trials that I was experiencing as a kid, uh, to take joy and hardship as an adult uh, has, if anything, only gotten harder for me. And my guess is that for many of you in this room, you would probably share that sentiment that a verse like this one, consider it pure joy, brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, like that's easier said than done. It's easy to read that verse. It's hard to live that verse out because sometimes things, let's be honest, sometimes things are a whole lot worse than being grounded for an entire summer. Like sometimes you get a diagnosis that completely alters your entire life. Or maybe you lost a job that you thought you were really uh, doing a really, really good job at. Or maybe your house or your car gets broken into and some things get stolen from you. Maybe you just feel extremely lonely all the time and you feel trapped in the circumstances that you're in. Maybe you want nothing more, nothing more than to be a mom or to be a dad in your life. But no matter what you try, you've tried everything under the sun, but you know, she can't seem to get pregnant or stay pregnant and you feel like you've lost out on that dream a little bit. Maybe your son won't talk to you anymore because of some of the things that you said. Maybe your dad, he never came home. Maybe your finances, they're stretched so thin that you don't know how you're gonna make it through the next month. Maybe you've tried it all. Maybe you've lost it all. Maybe you're thinking about ending it all. And you come to church today and you sit in a chair and you listen to some random guy talk to you about how you should have joy in any one of those circumstances. And you're like, really? Like, do you know what I'm going through? Like, that's what I showed up for today? For some guy to stand on a stage and tell me no matter what I'm going through that I should maybe just be a little bit happier? And you think, God, do you even know what I'm going through here? And you can start to think that either God's not there or he doesn't care about you or your circumstance or your situation. And listen, I get it. Like I've been there. But while I've had trouble with this verse so much in the past, and even as I've gotten older, I've come to appreciate this verse that we just read. And specifically the verses that follow even more because while, yes, James starts by saying, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, he answers that unspoken question we ask of, why should we do that? And he says, because you know, and we do know, because you know that the testing of your faith, it produces perseverance. 
And he goes on to say, let that perseverance finish its work. Don't give up too quickly. Don't just throw in the towel. He says, let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Listen, this morning, I need you to hear me. Our pain is not something we should constantly try to avoid. Our circumstance isn't always something we should try to get out of that more times than not, our pain, it is a part of the process. That it is the hardest seasons of life that God often uses in our life to produce the greatest amount of life change. For instance, you ever heard someone bragging about the perseverance they had in a really easy season of life? I haven't. Have you ever met someone who you think is extremely mature and you look up to them as one of your role models but they've never faced like an ounce of adversity in their life? I haven't. In your own life, do you experience the most growth when things are easy or when things are hard? Guys, my experience has been the latter, that God uses the hardest moments in my life most times to help me understand who he wants me to be. You see, Samuel Chand, he's an author of a great book I would encourage you to read called Leadership Pain. He says it this way. He says, difficulties are God's curriculum for those who wanna excel. Guys, I would agree with that. That I don't take joy in my hardship. I don't take joy in my hard circumstances. Not in those things themselves. But I have learned to take joy in what that experience is producing within me. That I have learned to be happy about like, who God is making me to be. But that doesn't make it any easier. And I know that. And the last thing I would want to do this morning is just to dismiss some of the things that you guys are going through. Because once again, this verse, like it's easier said than done and it takes a lifetime to figure this out. But if I could be really honest with you guys this morning, I would tell you that over the last couple of months, like I've really struggled, really struggled to live that verse out. And if I could be transparent, if you let me be transparent, I would tell you that over the last couple months, uh, like it hasn't been ideal for my wife and I. That it seems like it's just been one of those seasons where everything that can go wrong does go wrong, right? That if it's not something uh, you know, with the house, it's something with our finances. If it's not something with our finances, it's something at work. If it's not something at work, it's something with the car. If it's not something with the car, it's something with our marriage. If it's not something with our marriage, then it's something with our future. And round and round and round and round it goes. That every time I seem to finally get my feet back under me, it seems like something comes along and just knocks the wind out of me, pushes me off balance, and leaves me on my knees like gasping for air. And while, guys, I can tell you, like, there's no one area in my life right now that I'm like, man, we are drowning. Or one area in my life that is just, something is going completely wrong. I would tell you, I've kind of gotten to a mentality, and I hate this about myself, but I've kind of gotten to a mentality recently where I'm just waiting for something else to go wrong. I'm just waiting for somebody to say something wrong. I'm just waiting for someone to cut me off on the street, and it's like, I dare you, you know? And I'm frustrated. And it's, you know, it, it's, not, it's not fun. And over the last week or so, I found myself praying the same prayer unintentionally over 
and over and over. And whether it was like late at night when I couldn't sleep, whether it was scraping popcorn ceilings by myself at my house, whether it was running errands in the car or anything like that, I find myself praying this prayer a lot and it sounds like something like this. It's like, God, I'm tired and I've run out of solutions. And listen, I don't need you to fix my problems. God, I don't need you to take everything away. I don't need you to make everything better. Listen, God, I know I'll get through it. But God, honestly, I just need to know that this is all gonna be worth it. Like, I just need you to tell me that on the other side of a hard season like this, that I will be better because of it. That God, my pain isn't wasted, it's not pointless. Guys, I share that with you today because I know in a room this size, with the amount of people that are in here today, my guess is I'm not alone in that. And maybe many of you have been praying the same prayer and are wondering the same thing. Is any of this actually worth it? And it wasn't until late Friday night, around midnight, uh, as I was kind of preparing for this sermon and, and you know, writing this sermon that I was reading the rest of this chapter that we're going through today. And I was reading through that and God used one of these verses in James to kind of shake me to my core. He used one of those verses to kind of realign my perspective on some of my circumstances that he used a verse that was written to a bunch of random followers of Jesus across the world some 2,000 years ago to remind me that when I choose to follow Jesus, like my hardship, it's always worth it. That a couple verses later in James chapter one, verse 12, he says this, blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has, this is an important word, promised, that the Lord has promised to those who love him. Now guys, whenever we you know, stand under trial, whenever we choose to persevere, there is a promise that God has made us that says no matter what you're going through, no matter the suffering you experience, no matter the circumstance you find yourself in, it's always gonna be worth it. That Paul, he says it a little bit different. In Romans chapter five, he says this. Not only so, but we also glory in our suffering. We take joy in our trials because we know that suffering, it produces perseverance. And that per perseverance, it produces character in us. And that character, it produces hope. And this is my favorite part of the verse. And this hope does not put us to shame ever. Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. That listen, when you choose to follow Jesus, your pain, it can have a purpose. And that purpose is often God is creating you into the person he wants you to be. And so maybe this morning, like you showed up and you are exhausted, that you have nothing left in the tank and you've been running on fumes for weeks now that you're out of options, out of solutions, you have nothing left to try, that you spent the rest of the hope that you had coming in here this morning, hoping that if you could just make it to church, even though it snowed, if you could just find your way in here, that somehow, some way, things might just be a little bit better for you. And you're sitting in your seat this morning and you're thinking to yourself the same thought I've been thinking over the last week and it's, I just need all of this to be worth it. 
Like I don't need it all to go away. I don't need more courage or strength to get through it. I just need it to be worth it. And if that's you this morning, like can I just loan you some of my hope? Can I just give some of that to you? Can I just tell you that this is the kind of place where you should be? That this is the kind of place where you can stop pretending that you don't have to have your life all figured out. You don't have to have everything figured out. You don't have to have all your ducks in a row. You don't even have to have ducks, all right? Like this is a place where you can come with all of your problems, with all of your pain, and you can lay it on the table. That I need you to know that things, they are going to get better. That your pain, it can have a purpose. That all of this can be worth it. That when you choose to follow Jesus, while I can't promise you, I can't promise you all of your problems are going to go away. I can promise you, you will never have to go through them alone again. That I need you to understand there is a myth in the church today. That whenever you choose to follow Jesus, like God is gonna take care of everything for you and you're never gonna experience hardship again. And guys, that's exactly what that is. It's a myth that Jesus doesn't, you know, excuse us from all pain, but he actually promises it to us. That as a follower of Jesus, pain is promised, but it is not pointless that it can have a purpose in your life. And like I said, that purpose is for God to make you who he wants you to be. And so this morning, I wanna kind of transition into a time of response with you guys. This morning, maybe that is where you find yourself. That you're tired and you're exhausted from going through life all alone. That you are broke on hope. And you're looking for a way forward. You're looking for a next step. And, if you, and you hear me talk about like, not only a way to conquer the trials in your life, but a way that you can maybe even experience some joy amidst them. And you're wondering, like, could I have that same thing? And if that's you this morning, can I just give you kind of a weird encouragement? Like, stop fighting so hard. Can I really just encourage you to surrender for a moment? To put some things in the hands of someone who actually can do something about them. Listen, every week we put these towels on the stage and the towels are white for a very specific reason that these towels, they signify surrender. That they're a visual representation of what it looks like for us to follow Jesus, even with the trials, even with the circumstances that we face. And so maybe this morning for you, like you're tired of doing things all by yourself and you feel like you don't have a way forward. And if that's you this morning, can I just encourage you to surrender? To maybe come forward, grab one of these towels and take it to the next steps booth and talk to somebody about what it looks like to follow Jesus with all of your life, even the circumstances that you hate. Can I just encourage you to give that over to God? Listen, my dad used to tell me this all the time, and I think this is such a great reminder, but he said, he would say, what do you do when things are too big for you to handle? Then he would say, go find bigger hands. And guys, I'm encouraging you. I know, I know things don't look ideal for you right now, but maybe this morning, one of the best things you can do is to find bigger hands, to come forward, to grab a towel and surrender your life over to Jesus. Or maybe for you, you look more like James did before he met or saw his brother resurrected from the dead. You're a bit skeptical. 
You've got some questions, you've got some doubts, you've got some things that you're wrestling through and you showed up here today hoping that maybe something someone said would surprise you. And maybe that happened, maybe it didn't. But if that's you, like I need you to know this is a place you can belong even before you believe the same things I do. This is a place you can belong even before you behave the same way that I do. And maybe this is just a place where you need to come and you need to wrestle with the things that you're struggling with. And if that's you, I'd love nothing more than to talk with you about that. And I'm gonna be in the back of the worship center and I'd love to talk to you about, you know, maybe some of the questions you have or maybe remove some of the obstacles that you have so that you can have a clear view of Jesus. But maybe for you, you've been following Jesus for a really long time now. And that this is not something that's new to you. This is a reminder. I love what Pastor Aaron says often. He says we need to be reminded far more than we need to be taught. And I think that's true. Maybe this morning is just another reminder for you of exactly what Jesus has done for you. That he has given your pain a purpose through his death and resurrection. Maybe this morning you just need to take a moment to sit in your seat, to have an honest conversation with God of gratitude. To say thank you for doing that for me. And so all around the room, we have these tables with some cups uh, with juice and crackers on them that you can go and you can grab one of those. And it's just a reminder of exactly what God did for us through Jesus on the cross. But then maybe for a lot of you, you've got some things in your life that are too big for you to handle. Maybe you've got some things in your life that you need someone to come alongside you and you're tired of doing it all by yourself. Guys, if that's you, we have some people in the back of the room who would love nothing more than to partner with you in prayer and extend some hope because your life hurts right now. So I, I don't know how you need to respond this morning, but I'm gonna give you some time to do that. So I'm gonna pray and then you can feel free to respond. God, thank you so much for this place. God, thank you for the fact that we can come to you with the questions, we can come to you with the struggles, we can come to you with the pain. That God, every emotion under the sun is, you know, okay whenever we're talking to you during prayer. God, I know there's some people in this room that need to respond in a specific way. And so God, I pray that this would be a thin space, that you would speak to them, you would guide them, you would use your Holy Spirit to help them respond in whatever way you need them to. God, we love you. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.